0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And last week, Dr. Love did such a fantastic job um, breaking down the mutations of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and just mutations in general, how they work. Um, Andrea, can you recap a little bit of what we talked about? Yeah, sure. So we talked a little bit about mutations
1: in general, how they are a random process that occurs in every organism that reproduces through just random errors when we replicate our genomes. Um, and and those sorts of mutations can become dominant in a particular organism if they offer some sort of benefit evolutionary benefits. We talked about in the context of SARS-CoV-2, what those benefits might be. Um, We talked about the new variants and, you know, because there's mutations in the spike protein that seem to be enabling the virus to better infect us, those could be mutations that are in fact advantageous. Um, And we talked a little bit about how That might, um, you know, affect vaccines and what the implication of that might be for future vaccination. So we definitely encourage you all to tune into that.
0: Yeah. And I was just going to say, I, I think it was maybe one of our more technical episodes. And I think that um, that's that's great. You know, we need that and we really benefit from your um, expertise. So thank you, Andrea. <laughs> um, so this week we're, we're shifting gears. We, we need a little bit of a break from COVID. And um, we've been getting so many requests to tackle this topic of essential oils. So that is what we're going to cover today. You know, is there any science behind the use of essential oils. So before we dive into the science, let's chat a little bit. So Andrea, do you ever use essential oils or scents or anything like that? (laughs) I, I
1: honestly, the once upon a time I was given like a pillow mist that had some eucalyptus scent in it and it was supposed to be stress release and help 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 you sleep and all that but um personally i find scented things to be very cloying and harsh on my nose and i i tend to avoid them outright you know lotions i use are generally unscented i was given um, you know, some scented lotions recently as a gift. And, and honestly, I, I can't even open the bottle around my, myself. It It's very, very, um, abrasive, but, um, and I
0: even go for, you know, that person's listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no, I mean, I, I get it, you know, they're very popular. Um, I just, yeah, I can't deal with it. And even when I use like a, an antiperspirant, I, I go for the, the
0: masculine sense. Like I use old spice. (laughs) So that is so funny. So I'm polar opposite. I have always been obsessed with smells and with scents. I have, I don't know, dozens of perfumes. It's one of my favorite things to shop for love lotions, always have a candle lit or incense or something like that. Um, I don't personally subscribe to the idea that they, 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 Help me medicinally. They don't really do anything to relieve stress or make me feel better. And we will dive into the science behind this, of course. That's the purpose of this episode. I just like smells. <laughs> you know, that, that's it. Mm-hmm. They just make me happy and I enjoy them. Um, so just one little funny anecdote I thought I'd share. So when I was giving birth to my daughter, Sophia, this was my um second c-section. I had to have an emergency c-section with my first, and then I um uh, the hospital where I delivered wouldn't do V back, which which is vaginal birth after C-section. So I had to do a repeat C-section and anyone who's had one of these knows that they're not super pleasant. Um, So I'm on there, uh, the the surgical table, you know, opened up for the whole world to see. (laughs) And I was feeling really—I I was so nauseated—and in part because my little Sophia um, was being really feisty and not making the delivery an easy one. I just—I felt—I just felt very sick. So the anesthesiologist actually came over with a cotton ball filled with lavender-scented, uh, well, lavender essential oil, and put it in my face, thinking that would calm me down and relieve the nausea. And it did the exact opposite. It made me so sick, and to this day, I cannot lavender just makes me ill. Oh I cannot God. smell lavender. So that's terrible. Anyway. I feel so yeah. bad for you. It, it was, oh my God, it was the perfectly wrong thing in that moment. <laughs> I know his intentions were good. So, okay. So let, let's talk about essential oils. Sure. So do you want to, what, what is an essential? Yeah. Oil <laughs> Cause
1: I think, <laughs> I think, you know, people often are confused, right? Because that has this term essential, right? So you know, they're called essential oils because the, the the name of the oil itself is is from the name of the plant from which it is derived. So peppermint oils derived from a peppermint plant, et cetera. Um, and, and they're called essential because they were thought to represent the essence of odor or flavor of the particular plant, not because they're essential um, in terms of things like, you know, for function or for nutrition or whatever the case happens to be. And, and, you know, currently the essential oil industry is a $1 billion industry with projections to exceed $10 billion uh, by 2022.
0: And every time I log into you know, my Facebook account or go onto one of the mom groups, and it's just everywhere, it doesn't have to be a mom group, um, it, people are always either selling essential oils or touting essential oils. Anytime someone says that they have a migraine or a headache, the answer is always you know, rub peppermint oil on your temples or I don't know, all kinds of things. Um, the latest thing I'm seeing is a lot about oregano oil. I don't know mm. if you've he- heard about that, um, but apparently that's just a cure-all. <laughs> <laughs> for everything according to social media. So, let's let's talk a little bit about the history of essential oils. So, the therapeutic use of aromatic plants dates back many, many years across civilizations with uses ranging from religious and ritual, food flavoring, medicinal purposes, perfumery and masking of bad odors. And by the way, Andrew, that's a whole other conversation. I often think about how badly people smelled. <laughs> how (laughs) bad they smelled before we had you know i don't know anyway shampoo and so all that good stuff anyway so there's this international federation of aromatherapists and they have a description on their site and they talk about how plants such as fennel coriander seeds cumin and many others have been found at the sites of ancient burial grounds many texts from asia to ancient egypt and much of the mediterranean area describe the various procedures and rituals involved in the making of healing ointments medicated oils poultices and healing perfumes. So now this is taken directly from their website. So they say that the practice of using aromatic fumigations to uplift the spirit and help cure diseases has also been used by the world's greatest civilizations throughout history. References in some old texts to be magical perfumes that enhance personal attraction and promise happiness are numerous. Um, And we know that spiritual perfumes for religious ceremonies have also been used in in history, uh, particularly in ancient Egypt and in Tudor England. Now there's... A National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy. And I just want to say right off the bat, this is not an approved medical body, uh, but they define aromatherapy as the therapeutic application or the medicinal use of aromatic substances, so essential oils, for holistic healing. And then in 1997, the International Standards Association, ISO, defined an essential oil as a product obtained from vegetable raw material, either by distillation with water water, Or steam, or from the epicarp of citrus fruits by a mechanical process or by dry distillation. Okay, so that's the technical stuff, the definition of what, you know, what is an essential oil and a little bit of a history on it. So, Let's let's talk about what um, what some people tout the benefits of essential oils to be. Um, I, I know that so many <laughs> talk about the healing properties from, um, and again, this is what people say, well, we'll get into the science of it, that there's immune boosting potential of oregano. And Andrea, I know that's grinding your gears right now because we know that there's no such thing as immune boosting, right? That's kind of a misnomer. Um, and the stress reducing scent of sweet orange oil. Do you have anything to say about, are you, you're just upset over there that people are saying (laughs) that it boosts your immune system? (laughs) I, I, I mean, there's a lot of,
1: there's a lot of claims, um, you know, throughout history. And obviously we're going to get into the science of, of some of those claims, but you know, of course it's, you know, there's no, there's no strong body of evidence that, you know, suggest that we can cure any illnesses and we certainly know that you can't boost your immune system certainly by
0: topical application of, of an essential oil right um, right and that, that's kind of the punchline here right and that's what we'll talk about um, is that well first of all we'll talk about the fact that there there have been no clinical trials um, and well anyway let, let's get into all of that in a second but just want to go on to say a little bit more about what some people claim the benefits of essential oils to be and I'm sure Andrew that we're going to get uh, angry messages about this, but um, in addition to providing a Pleasant smell, aromatherapy oils can provide respiratory disinfection, decongestant, and psychological benefits. Inhaling essential oils stimulates the olfactory system, which is the part of the brain connected to smell, including the nose and the brain. So, um, I was reading some studies, and interestingly, most of the studies that I came across were from the 1960s and 1970s. So, I'm assuming maybe essential oils were all the rage then. But basically in the medicinal field, inhalation therapy of vapors of essential oils was used to treat acute and chronic bronchitis and acute sinusitis. And inhalation of these vapors was shown by some of these small older studies to augment the output of respiratory tract fluid, maintain the ventilation and drainage of the sinuses, and have an anti-inflammatory effect on the trachea and reduced asthma. And Andrea, I know you're going to talk to us a little bit about um, a the fact again that there are no clinical trials, but that newer studies have have actually revealed some possible harms right. of, of using these oils.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's important to note here that these are kind of the the benefits that are touted by people. Um, but you know, as we'll go through the data, there is no strong evidence that you know illnesses can be cured. Um, through the use of essential oils or through aromatherapy. Um, there are some mixed evidence that possibly they can be beneficial in the context of elevating someone's mood or stress relief. Um, but, but most of those again are very inconclusive, um, and and obviously we're going to get more into that. Right.
0: So as you just said, you know, the results are mixed. There are some studies that indicate that there is a benefit to using essential oils. And again, others show no improvement in symptoms. Um, so in particular, we know that studies have looked at whether essential oils can alleviate anxiety, depression, nausea insomnia, low appetite, and dry mouth, just to name a few. Lavender oil, my, my nemesis, um, is actually traditionally used and approved, I thought this was interesting, by the European Medicines Agency, EMA, as herbal medicine to relieve stress and anxiety. So some studies have revealed positive effects in models of anxiety and depression, um, although very little research has been done on the molecular mechanisms. <clears throat> excuse me. So some essential oils are used as anxiolytic remedies, again, for, for anxiety and the administration mode can be orally, although, so this is what I was reading, Andrea, but then I know we want to talk about how actually none of them are approved for oral usage, correct? Right. right. <laughs> um, and also by inhalation or combined with massage. So again, we hear a lot about lavender. So another thing that I, I'm sorry, Andrea, if I'm jumping the, Done here. But we also hear a lot about, and I mentioned earlier, rubbing uh, peppermint oil on your temples if you're experiencing a headache or a migraine. And, you know, when we were bantering a little bit before we recorded this episode, we were talking about how. Well, we might be confounding things because if you're massaging oil into your temples, it could actually be the act of the, you know, the massage itself that is bringing you relief rather than than the oil itself, right? hmm Yep. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all buyers So do you want to talk a little bit about tea tree oil or what ha- What do you think we should talk about next?
1: Yes. So, you know, I think I want to kind of lump lavender and tea tree oil together, um, okay. you know, quickly. So, so lavender, you know, again, as Jess just mentioned, has been approved by the European Medicines Agency to be used for stress and anxiety relief. Um, It is one of the best sellers kind of globally um, that, you know, as far as touting herbal remedies for anxiety and tea tree oil, um, not the same oil, but another essential oil. It's also called Melaleuca. This, this is typically used topically for skin disorders, things like acne, athlete's foot and insect bites. And there's some mixed evidence. There is some evidence that suggests that it can be beneficial to help, you know, treat the symptoms of acne and things like that. But I wanted to mention the two together because they are both very heavily used in society and they actually have some really substantial health implications Um, And so recent research by scientists at the National Institutes of Environmental Health Sciences, that's NIEHS, a division of NIH, um, and as well as others, have found that both lavender and tea tree oils contain estrogen-like and testosterone-inhibiting properties that, if overused, can actually lead to abnormal and premature breast growth in young boys and, and in girls. And this is typically through topical use. So the intended use of most of these essential oils, such as lavender and tea tree, um, things in shampoos, soaps, lotions, perfumes, etc. So there was a 2007 study in New-, New England Journal of Medicine that determined that male prepubertal gynecomastia, which is. Uh, before puberty and growth of breasts, so this is breast growth in in boys, young boys, was linked to use of lavender and tea tree oil. Um, A 2019 study uh, also found, this was in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, that lavender oil use was associated with premature breast development in girls as well. Um, so, there is some legitimate data now to suggest that certain essential oils, in particular tea tree and lavender oil, can actually affect hormone signaling in young children and can lead to changes such as premature
0: breast growth. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. And we're, of course, going to link this, uh, these studies that we're referencing on our site, as we always do, um, and Andrea, just to um, <laughs> to repeat something that we that we often say, you know, the dose makes the poison. And I know we're not getting into too much detail about each and every one of these studies because we're, you know trying to uh, paint a, a I don't know broad strokes, comprehensive pr- picture of essential oils in this episode. But you know, it, it does matter how much you're exposing yourself to, right? Absolutely. Um, and something that we're going to talk about later is that these essential oils are really not regulated. So that's that's definitely a concern. So um, something else we wanted to talk about, peppermint oil. So there is some evidence that peppermint essential oil can help relieve um, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, when taken in enteric coated capsules. It's really important to note though, that these have to be from trusted supplement providers. It's kind of like the wild west when it comes to these supplements and essential oils. Don't you think, you know, people are are selling things and you really, you know, you have to make sure that you're getting them, you know, from from a, a proper trusted medical provider. Yeah. Oh.
1: And I, I think that brings up an issue that obviously we're going to get more into, but, you know, none of these are regulated. So- right. You know what is a trusted health supplement Mm -hmm. provider to begin with? You know, ultimately, the the medical community strongly advises against ingesting any of these.
0: Very, very good point. Definitely going to talk more about that. Um, Other things, I'm just running through some common oils here. Lemon oil. um, I'm sure if if you use cleaning products or have purchased cleaning products at the store, you'll see that so many come with citrusy scents um, of lemon oil, which is touted to be a mood booster. um, Often also used in homemade cleaning products. Um, I mentioned briefly oregano oil earlier. This is something I'm seeing crop up a lot on social media. So it's derived, of course, from the oregano plant um, that's purported to have healing properties. And so um, there's some evidence that oregano oil has antimicrobial, antiviral, and antifungal properties um, and compounds in oregano in oregano oil um, are also antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-diabetic, and cancer suppressor agents. Now, Andrea, I, you might have something to say about this, so let me know if you disagree with any of those statements.
1: I mean, I think it. I think it is worth mentioning that you know, again, these. These research studies are in vitro. So they're in a petri dish in a lab where essentially we are blasting bacteria or virus or cells or fungi with high levels of oregano oil. And again, you know, this really goes back to the dose make the poison. Um, but it also underscores the fact that, you know, an in vitro study is not representative of real life. And, you know, in particular mode of delivery is going to matter here as well. So, you know, this is not an endorsement to say, you know, you should start eating oregano oil for, you know, instead of antibiotics, if you have a legitimate infection or things like that. Um, And there really needs to be clinical trials and more research done to really understand, you know, how, if oregano oil is in fact beneficial and how it is beneficial.
0: That is such an, an important point. And when I was prepping for this episode, I was searching um, some of the websites that tout the benefits of essential oils, and of course, you know, sell essential oils. And one of the ones I came across was Natural Living Ideas. And I am not endorsing this website. I'm just saying that I came across it, and they listed uh, cinnamon oil, for example, as one such natural um, antibacterial agent. And they say that, oh, you know, there's there is research to support that it's antibacterial. But when you actually do a little digging and you click on the link to the study, Andrea, as you just said, it's a study that was done in vitro. Um, so, you know, what's done in the lab or in a Petri dish is very different than, the, you know, what happens in human trials and in the human body. Um, so perhaps the substances can kill bacteria in a Petri dish, But does that mean that it could be ingested safely and does it have that same effect in in the human body? So that is such an important point to me. I'm just trying to think about the next logical uh, discussion here. So I guess, you know, maybe we should move on to some of the dangers. So just to recap here about the benefits, I guess we're saying that there are some benefits, you know, there's mixed research, some evidence that does show some benefits, um, but you have to realize or be Very mindful of some of the studies that are done in vitro, and realize that that's very different than a clinical trial. And you also have to be mindful of how you know the dose makes the poison, and how um, because so many of these things are not regulated, you're not really sure exactly what you're ingesting and how much of it you're ingesting. And actually, you shouldn't be ingesting anything, (laughs) right? This is typically topically
1: or using an essential oil diffuser, which is going to you know essentially mix that. And distribute it in the air in your your house.
0: A lot of people do ingest them, though, which is really concerning to me. You know, I'll often hear you know put a two dr- put a few drops underneath your tongue, or mm-hmm. um, that that's that really freaks me out. So, absolutely, these are not recommended um, for for ingestion. So let's just make that really clear. So, um, so we're going to talk a little bit about dangers to humans and also to our fur babies to our pets. So let's just start things off by by saying that like dietary supplements, essential oils are not regulated by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. So these essential oil products do not need to gain FDA approval before they're brought to market and sold to consumers. However, if they are intended for a therapeutic use, such as treating or preventing disease or to affect the structure or function of the body then it is a drug um so for example claims that a product will relieve colic ease pain relax muscles treat depression or anxiety or help you sleep these are drug claims and they may be regulated um, Andrew, did you want to, I, I see. Oh here. yeah.
1: So, so, you know, this is obviously, this is, this is a, a big picture issue. You know, many people don't, don't seem to realize that there is no burden on essential oil marketers to prove efficacy or safety um, because they're not regulated very much like dietary supplements. Um, however, if they are making medical claims or they're, you know, producing a product that has evidence of harm, they will be, um, you know, warned. And so doTERRA, which is a very famous uh, essential oil company, has had, um, you know, several warnings, most recently, uh, I think in 2014, for uh, promoting this sort of disinformation about the products they were selling.
0: Okay, so just to be clear here, essential oils can be dangerous, right? We have, there are very clear... (laughs) Cases of allergic reactions, chemical burns, dermal toxicity, and poisoning. So as we've said, and definitely worth reiterating, essential oils are not meant to be ingested. No matter what a company claims, no matter what you read on social media, you should not be putting any drops underneath your tongue or in your tea or anything like that. Um, and i think it's yeah. important you know we we're talking
1: about essential oils very loosely there are tons of different essential oils out there um and you know some may obviously have lower toxicity than others but ultimately because there is no regulation there is no criteria for certain concentrations of these compounds Um, you know, you just don't know what you're buying. And ultimately, when you're ingesting these sorts of things, ingesting is going to facilitate absorption faster than say a topical application. So rubbing it on your skin. And so, you know, this can actually lead to things like medication interactions and also, also, you know, increase the risk of allergic or toxicities. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Jess was mentioning these uh, a few drops a day or under your tongue in your water, things like that. That's a exposure, and those can lead to toxicity-related symptoms like fatigue and headaches. Um, larger doses in a certain time frame of certain oils like tea tree, um, wintergreen oils, and camphor oils can lead to very, very severe um, physiological effects like throat swelling, um, irregular or increased heart rate, vomiting, and even seizures.
0: And actually, we've seen that certain poison control centers have seen a, a big jump right in the number of toxic essential oil exposures i I see you have a note here about uh, Tennessee in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how the number of toxic essential oil exposures doubled from to, to, uh, 2011 to 2015. So, oops, sorry, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, you know, and this is, you know, these
1: toxic exposures can be from topical uh, applications. So these are mm-hmm. typically concentrated mm-hmm. and are meant to be diluted for, you know, whatever the use happens to be a diffuser skin or whatever. Mm -hmm, Um, and -hmm. so these can cause, you know, legitimate chemical burns also from ingestion. We're seeing these toxicity effects. Um, but even using something like a diffuser in your house, um, particularly essential oils that have a, a organic molecule called phenol. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's going to be most commonly found in things like peppermint or eucalyptus oils. These can actually irritate the lungs of people, um, and, and especially babies. And so Jess had earlier, Mentioned some of these studies that were done in the 60s and 70s that were noting that um, you know some some inhalation therapy could be beneficial for things like bronchitis, but in fact we're actually seeing that this can actually cause um, epithelial, so skin, you know, in your respiratory tract um, inflammation and damage.
0: Yeah, and actually Johns Hopkins they have an advisory on on their website that um, you know they they advise against using essential. Oil diffusers, um, which I I think most people know, you know, those small household appliances that create scented vapors. Um, And so, exactly as you just said, that diffusion in, in a household with multiple members people might be affected differently. And and exactly as you said, Andrea, you know, this example of peppermint, um, when used around a child who's, who's less than 30 months old, the child can become agitated, obviously the opposite of the desired effect. Um, (laughs) and there are some instances of experiencing fast heartbeats and just adverse reactions to peppermint. And, and also worth noting that the quality of essential oils on the market varies greatly, um, from pure essential oils to those Diluted with less expensive ingredients. So, again, this lack of regulation means that the label may not even list all of the ingredients in the bottle that you're buying, which again underscores why you should certainly not be ingesting these oils.
1: Right. Absolutely. Now, Jess, I wanted to, I, as someone with pets, who have yes. had pets their whole life. Um, I do not use essential oils. I'm not a proponent of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm very averse to scents to begin with, so it doesn't really have a, a strong appeal to me even, you know, to enjoy a scent. But the big issue is that many, you know, many, many essential oils are toxic to dogs and cats. And, and, in, and on top of that, none have been proven to be a treatment for any sort of medical issue in animals. So I'm just going to give a few examples um, because I don't think people really understand the really broad array of essential oils here. But in cats, ones that are known to be toxic are things like cinnamon oil, all citrus oils, clove oil, eucalyptus oil, lavender oil, oregano oil, peppermint oil. Um, I'm going to skip a few from tea tree oil again, thyme oil, wintergreen oil, and others. In dogs, it's there's a lot of overlap, but other additional ones um, are things like anise oil, clove oil, juniper oil, and also yarrow oil, as well as a few others. We will post a link to the full array. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's worth noting that many people use these topically to treat various skin conditions, fleas, etc., on their pets with no evidence of safety or efficacy and often without consulting veterinarians. I can't tell you how often I see people or like, oh, my dog has this rash on its elbow and someone's like, oh, rub, you know, I use this. So rub it on your pet. And, and you know, animals and people are not the same. You know, many foods that we eat are deadly toxic right. to animals. Um, and mm-hmm. that's the same with these essential oils. You should never be applying essential oils orally or topically to pets, even if they're not on the list of ones that are definitively you know, listed as
0: toxic, because these can be very, very dangerous to your pets. And please, for the love of God, don't, don't, um, you know, don't, don't be convinced by labels that say, oh, you know, it's all natural. How can it be bad? It's derived from a, you know, a juniper berry or whatever, you know, whatever these claims are, you know, poison oak is also natural. Doesn't mean that I'm going to rub it on myself. So that is not a reason to think that it's okay to expose your animals. to." Well,
1: Jess, I think, I think that's also an important point because, you know, in the wild, plants produce chemicals to deter predators of them, right? That's, That's where we get our natural pesticides, right? So just because it's from a plant doesn't mean that it's Good for you, or even safe for you.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay, should we talk more about pets, Andrea? I yeah, I have it- a
1: couple mm-hmm. more things to
0: say. I know about, you do. I don't want to hear <laughs> Tease about <us>.
1: pets. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we previously mentioned that diffusers can, um, diffusing these essential oils can be dangerous for other household members. It can irritate their lungs and things like that. Um, and ultimately, anybody who has pets should not be using these diffusers. Those aerosolized oils, even in small quantities can be even more dangerous to your pets. Um, They can cause additional lung irritation to your pets, especially even if they're classified as being safe. Um, And and I think something that's really important, you know, because we're on the, the topic of people ingesting these without medical evidence but they're also giving them to their pets and essential oil use in cats um you know oral given orally is one of the top causes of toxicologically induced tremors and seizures and yeah it's it's terrible i mean there are other chemicals obviously on that list um but this is something that obviously you know cats only have access to through the use of their owner or, you know, through their owner's use. And when we talk about poisoning in pets, the most common essential oil poisoning is through tea tree oil. So that's that melaleuca oil. It's the same one that causes premature breast growth in boys and girls. Um, And this, as mentioned, is often used for skin issues in humans like acne and dandruff and athlete's foot. And there's, there is some evidence that suggests that it can help clear up the symptoms of acne and things like that.
0: Um, but this is very, very dangerous for pets. Mm-hmm. So steer clear, and suffice it suffice it to say, um, Andrea, you will not be using any essential oils in your household. Period. <laughs> Full stop. I, I
1: have one cat that gets into absolutely everything. So honestly, you know, even if even if that evidence was convincing to me, um, it's simply not worth the risk for me. Now, if you do choose to have some tea tree oil on hand because you do have, you know, acne prone skin and you found it to be beneficial please keep it closed and secured so your pets aren't able to get into it.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tea tree oil, and I think you mentioned this earlier, it's also used in so many shampoos, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's um, been shown to be effective at treating dandruff. Um, But I'm, I don't know, I'm a little weary of these products too. So if I do try a new shampoo that happens to have um, tea tree oil in it, I won't use it regularly. Again, this idea that the dose makes the poison, you know, maybe I'll use it um, once in a blue moon. But anyway, okay, can I summarize or did you? No, 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 please.
1: I think, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of different essential oils we could really dig into some of the specifics, but I think Mm -hmm. this is a really good primer for kind of the high level overview.
0: Right, right. So, okay, big picture some essential oils may offer some limited benefit for some specific issues but companies are not regulated. And we know that they routinely overstate their use and effectiveness. And again, in, in you know because there's no regulation, um, these products often come without warnings on safety issues. And you often don't even know all of the ingredients in the products that you are purchasing. Most of the purported benefits of essential oils have not been translated to clinical trials. Um, so there's really no evidence that these can cure illnesses in people more than that. There's no standardization or regulation. So you really have to be careful about what you're purchasing and no matter what, do not ingest essential oils, no matter what the company says, anything to add Andrea. Mm, I think I would just say, you know, if you
1: find that it helps elevate your mood, if you find that it helps, you know, offer you some stress release, you know, certainly, you know, we're not saying don't use them, but it's, it's more of a buyer beware situation where, you know, you want to understand the limitations and the true benefits, um, understand that there might be confounding variables. Like if you're massaging it, it could be a combination of the oil and the massage, or it could just be the massage, but, um, you know, placebo effect is a real thing as well. Um, but also, you know, be be aware of where you're purchasing these from. You know where you're sourcing them from, and you know if you do have any questions about interactions with medications or other things you're taking, please also consult your physician.
0: And you know, I feel like I, I often hear people say, "Well, it can't hurt," and I think that some of what we presented here today is that well, it actually can hurt. Again, if you're ingesting it, or if you're, um, you know, we always say the dose makes the poison. If you're using too much of it, so you know, be careful. And as, as Andrea just said, you should always um, discuss these things with your own medical providers. So, All right, Andrea, take
1: us home. All right. Thanks for joining us today. We hoped you learned a thing or two. Um, And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and visit our website at www.unbiasedsipod.com. You can check out and support the pod by purchasing some merch. Uh, You can drop us a donation or you can even leave us a question for one of our herd from the herd segments. Um, Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the questions that have been raised about vaccine deployment. So vaccine manufacturing, um, deployment, how we're going to get everybody vaccinated, um, you know, in the current global plans to do so. We will obviously continue to provide ongoing updates on COVID-19 vaccine progress on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science.
0: Yeah. Oh, I am a scientist. Yeah. Oh, I am a scientist. Yeah. Oh, I am a scientist. We got a-